joining on this meeting, and I know God's going to do wonderful things for us. Um, we're just clay in the potter's hand tonight, and if we can look at it in that manner, God, whatever you have for me, I'm willing to do, and I think that's your scripture that you have, willingly giving yourself to God. I want you to do something for me. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're important. Turn to your next neighbor and say, I'm important. <laughs> We're ladies tonight, and we live in the world of childish prad prattle. Or if we're not now, in years past, we did. We've been around children that are always making statements, like I heard the little boy say. He looked in the bassinet, and his little brother was just crying and screaming and squealing, and he looked up at his mom, and he said, Mommy, did you say he came from heaven? <laughs> and mother said, Yes, dear. And the little boy said, Well, no wonder they put him out. We, we live around uh, childish wisdom. We live around common things. And sometimes to get into the spiritual, you have to get away like Mary did. She chose the better part. And that's what we're doing at this retreat. We're just getting away from telephones, children, responsibilities, whatever. And we're going to focus in on God and what he has for us tonight. Because I feel like very strongly that... Ladies can change history. I don't only feel that way, I can prove it. And like Brother Grant mentioned tonight, you know, if it hadn't been for Eve, there probably wouldn't have been a Calvary. You ever thought of it like that? Why did it have to be the woman? <laughs> it could have been the man, but you know what it was? The devil knew the one that had the greater influence. Now I'm telling you, sitting in this room is the most powerful influence in the whole world. They say the man's the head, but the neck is the one that turns the head. <laughs> <laughs> and we're the next tonight. <laughs> you have influence. I'm telling you, you look all through the scripture, you look all through history. And at the bottom of a lot of revivals, a lot of tremendous things that happen, you'll find it traced back to a lady. And if it hadn't been for a Jochebed, there wouldn't have been a Moses saved. There may not have been the Israelites coming out of bondage. There would have been because that was the plan of God. But it took a woman. And also, she can be used for evil. Jezebel, she caused Ahab to lie. She caused him to murder and she used her influence for evil, just the way, the same way Madeleine O'Hare today has used her influence for evil. How could one woman in America do what she did? I'm telling you, one woman can do volcanoes for God if we ever get into focus what God has within us. If we can focus into his plan for our lives. And you just go through history. Esther saved the Jewish nation. And God has called us into this kingdom for such a time as this. But all of the retreats that I do and the different places that I speak, I have a, a bukus of lessons that I teach in the college. And, you know, you can choose a lot of subjects, but I always try to pray and get the mind of the Lord. Because I feel like each district or each place that I minister to, God has a special plan, and he gave me a little scripture that I have never used before, but it's going to be the bottom line of everything I talk about tonight, and I want you to turn with me to Luke, the 17th chapter, and I'm going to read one verse, and it says, 
two women, the 35th verse, 1735, two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women. Which woman are you tonight? Now, I want to emphasize the woman that was taken. That's the thought we're going to draw from tonight. The woman that was taken. We won't even talk a lot about the one that was left, but what about the woman that was taken? What were her attributes? What caused her to be different? I mean, they're both doing the same job. I can imagine in my mind if it were today, Mary and Jane both go to work and they say, how you doing? They get to work and, and one says fine, the other one says fine. And then later on in the day, one of them says, come on, let's go to the lunchroom, let's pig out. And the other one says, I'll take a rain check on that. I'm not eating today. She says, why? Well, I'm just not eating. Well, why? In this day and age when food's so available, why aren't you eating? She said, well, since you asked me, this is my fast day. And other instances, she's the woman that was taken because she focused in on the spiritual things. And their, their conversation's different. One talks about spiritual things, the other talks about tangibles. Their attitudes are different. Their choices are different. Their actions are different. What it is, it's the carnality of a person that battles with the spiritual part. One is gossipy and judgmental. The other is compassionate and merciful. And your theme is The Radiant Lady. And I brought five books with me, and one of them is called The Radiant Woman, Volume 1. And you can read what The Radiant Lady is in that book. Some of you probably already have it. I'm not going to talk a lot about what I've discussed in the book because The Radiant Lady is a kind lady. She's a gracious woman. She's one that adheres to the scripture principles and marriage and all the other um, parts of being gracious. But I want to bring to you the gracious lady, the radiant woman, that is not portraying herself. She does not shine with the light of self, but she is a vessel that is pure and uh, there's no obstruction there. And the glory of God shines out through her face and everywhere she goes, she becomes a, she becomes a minister. She ministers to people. The word she speaks somehow finds a lodging in a, in a person's heart. She doesn't gossip. She doesn't tear people down, but she lifts them up. And what I want to bring to you is basically the difference in these two women. The woman that made it was a thirsty woman. And that's what this is all based on. What are you thirsty for? She was a thirsty woman. Let's read John 19 and 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Two little words, but all history hinges. I thirst. I don't really think it was all a physical thirst. I think it was a thirst, such a, a driving force within him, that made him give up everything so that we might have salvation. He thirsted so that we might know him, that we might have salvation. It wasn't just a lackadaisical thirst, but it was a thirst that made him give everything he had. And that's the kind of thirst that I'm talking about tonight. We've got to get to the place we're so thirsty for what God is wanting to do in this hour that nothing will stand in our way. When you're thirsty, you won't let anything stop you. Nothing will stop you. We read the story in Mark, the fifth chapter, about the little lady. She was, alike, she was like a lot of us. She was a normal person. Just normal. She accepted 
everything that came to her. She tried to get rid of things in the flesh. She put her every cent she had. She was just a, um, she either was a young married woman that had come into much wealth, that had grown and maybe became a widow because the Bible said she spent all she had. She went to many physicians. She had to be a woman of wealth to, in order to do that. And so here she was. Every morning she would get up and the same problem over and over again. Cleaning up the sheets, weak in her body, taking care of herself, going to this doctor, going to there, till finally she was so hopeless that she heard. And when she heard, the Bible says in 25th through the 27th, when she had heard of Jesus, then she became thirsty and nothing could stop her. Not one thing. She was so thirsty to get to this person that could heal that she was willing to go through the stampede of the crowd even in her weakened condition. And she did it. And she became healed because of her thirst. The Bible says in Matthew 5, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Did you know that hunger removes all pride and thirst is followed by a vehement desire? Think about that. When you get thirsty for the right things, it removes all pride and it has a vehement desire for whatever you're thirsting for. Did you know thirsting causes you to strive for excellence? It'll cause you to get out of bed in the morning while others are sleeping to pursue a God-given goal and accomplish the things that He wants you to accomplish. Did you know thirst will give you courage to march on? You're not going to always walk on mountain peaks. Might as well get that down right now. Just mark it down in your book. You're going to have some deep and treacherous rivers to cross. You're going to have some things hit you that hurt way down deep. But hunger and thirst after God and His will will drive you on. Nothing will stop you. Thirst marches to a different drummer than complacency. The difference in the two women, one was thirsty and one was complacent. Where are you today? Job said in chapter 11, verse 16, Thou shalt forget thy misery and remember it as waters that pass away. I say you need to cultivate this thirst so that no matter what happens to you, that your misery will seem small in light of your thirst. No matter what you go through, this thirst drives you on. Don't become fat and satisfied and complacent and idle, but be driven by thirst. Don't give in to life. Your dreams may have seemed to pass you by and passed out of sight, but just keep struggling. Keep going on, because in your thirst and persistency lies victory. The gym cannot be polished without friction, nor man perfected without trials. In your thirst you will have adversity. Nothing is easy in the kingdom of God. Nothing comes easy. It, there's a lot of work and sacrifice and uh, mortification of the flesh. Proverbs 24:10 says, If thou faint in the day of diversity, thy strength is small. I say your thirst is small. If you faint when the, something comes against you and you feel like, well, it's over, I can't can't get through. I can't reach my dreams. I can't get the kingdom of God where I want, want it to be in this city. Then your thirst is small. Thirsting after the things that will bring, be instrumental in changing lives and bringing about revival and glorifying Christ, these are the things that we should give ourselves to. These are the things that we need to thirst after. In order to be thirsty... You have to be willing to give up something to have. You have to be willing to give up something to, re to gain what you're thirsting after. Jesus said in Luke 9:23 through 9:24, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake." 
the same shall find it. You've got to lose yourself in a bigger cause than yourself. In all your thirstings, be sure your thirstings and your goals and your dreams are based on the scripture. And did you know that you'll find in your thirsting after revival, your thirsting after becoming more like Christ, did you know the number one problem or the biggest problem that you will have in pursuing this goal is lack of discipline and perseverance on your part? It's been said, he who gains a victory over other men is strong, but he who gains a victory over himself is powerful. You've got to push on when things look the blackest. The lowest ebb is the turn of the tide. Just push on a little further. Sometimes it, when things look the blackest, if you'll just hang in there, then it'll come through. We had recently a lady we've organized in our church prayer groups, and she came to the prayer group, and she's had problems with cysts all her life. And her ovary and bowels had five large cysts, and the doctor said, we have to operate immediately. She brought the request before the prayer group, and they prayed, and she felt like God had healed her. And so she went back to the doctor, and um, she expected him to give her a clean bill of health, and the doctor said, uh-uh, you're still on for surgery. She went back to the prayer group. She said, I just know God's healed me. But the doctor said that they're still there. So they continued to pray. She went in for surgery. And when they opened her up, the doctors were puzzled. All the cysts were gone. In her darkest night, the low ebb of the tide, she kept breaching on, believing. They fasted, they prayed. And she realized her healing. Don't give up, ladies. I read the story one time about A.J. Crowan. He was a surgeon, and his mind became so boggled. And so he felt like everything was going haywire in his mind. So he said, i got to get away. And he went to stay on this little farm. And while he was at the farm, he had a lifelong desire to write a novel. So while he was there, all these thoughts were in his mind. He started writing this novel. And after a while, he wrote three chapters, and he read it back, and he said, Oh, that sounds foolish. It just sounded horrible, and desolation set in, and he, he just felt worse than ever, and he threw it in the trash can. And he said, I'm going to go for a walk and clear my mind. So he started walking, and he went a little ways, and one of the men he had met on the bog there, he, um, a little Scottish farmer, said, hello, how are you today? And they hailed each other, and the farmer looked at him and said, how's your novel coming along? He said, I gave it up. I threw it in the trash can. And he said a look of contempt and disappointment passed across that farmer's face. And the old farmer put his foot on the shovel, and he said, you know, he said, my father ditched this bog all his life, and it never became a pasture. He said, and I've ditched this bog all my life, and I haven't made a pasture. He said, but my father knew, and I know, that if you ditch this bog long enough, it will become a pasture. And A.J. Crowan said, I looked at that farmer, and I said, he's got something I don't have that perseverance and it convicted his heart he went back to the little farm where he was staying and he said he dug out that novel out of the trash can and it was all soggy and he dried it in the kitchen oven and for the next three months he wrote furiously till finally he had completed it and he said I was so tired of it and got it out of my mind I just stuck it in the mail and sent it off to a publisher and that became one of his best novels that was ever written all because of a little lesson in perseverance not giving up and staying in there. And this is the same way when you're thirsty. Remember, it's going to be self-discipline and sticking with it until you realize it. Don't give up because it might be the turn of the tide right when you're giving up. Dwight Moody said, I have more trouble with myself than with any other man I have ever met. And if you're going to be able to quench your thirst, you've got to put self under subjection and be ruled by the things that ruled Jesus Christ.
Those are the things that have got to rule us. Moses, he started off like all of us. He had hang-ups. He had complexes. He felt like he couldn't do anything. He said, send my brother. I can't even talk. And here, a few chapters later, we find him fasting 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain. When Jesus said, come up here, Moses was so thirsty to do the will of God that he dropped everything except two tablets. And he went up there and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no water. And only then, when he came back down, did he begin to build the tabernacle. Before you can build, there has to be some dying out to self. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and only then did he begin his ministry. Not until. We're hungry for revival. We're hungry for great things. But there's got to be a dying out to self before we realize the things we're hungry for. I ask you today, whatever your title is, whatever position you feel, if you feel a position, whether you have a great name, whether you have a name that no one knows, what are you thirsty for? What rules you? What drives you? Are you the woman that's going to be taken, or are you going to be the woman that's left? David said in Psalms 42.1, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. Does your life vibrate with the pulsating power and purpose of God? Whatever you're called to do, preach, sing, write, teach, play, whatever. Thirst to do it with everything you've got in you. Not for your glory, but that God would be magnified through you. Give your best. Don't give God nickels and pennies when you've got more to give. I bargained with life for a penny and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. For life is a just employer. He gives you what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why, you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. Are we bargaining with God for a penny? Or are we wanting him to give us all that he wants to give the church in this hour? What are we bargaining for? What are we settling for? I read the book of Acts and I, I get so thirsty. You know, the days of playing church is over. 15-minute prayer meetings, they're over. God is wanting to do a great work among his people. And he's no respecter of person. And I've been reading several books lately that have just made my eyes become fountain of tears. I'm so stirred to the core. Some of, I brought two of the books tonight. And I may just mention a few of the things that I've been reading to stir you to the point that I have been stirred. But when I read the book of Acts, and I start in the third chapter, and I see Peter and John going up to the time of prayer. Now you notice this. This miracle, the healing of the lame man, it didn't happen in the church. It happened in the street. There was no choir singing. There was no music going. Nobody had anything. There was nothing except what they had within. Right on the street. And then we go to the chapter 5, verse 15. Let me read it to you. They brought forth the sick into the streets. Not the church house. And I'm not doing away with churches. We're getting ready to build one that seats 10,000. I believe in churches. But what I'm saying is, too long have we kept this power within the four walls. When you read the book of Acts, they didn't keep it in the temple. It was in the streets. And I'm thirsty for that. I'm hungry for it. It says they brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them on the street. How many times have you walked down the supermarket and somebody's been healed by your shadow? Are you hungry for that?
I'm so sick of being normal. Oh, God, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 16 makes me even more thirsty. It says, The multitude came out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing six folks, sick folks, and them with unclean spirits. And notice this. They were healed every one. Did you notice every person that came to Jesus, he healed everyone that came to him? And here they are on the streets in the time of the early church, and everyone was healed. And in our churches today, ten people come, two get healed, eight not healed. Something's wrong. We're not paying the price. When the Bible says that everyone was healed that came to Jesus, and everyone that was healed that came to the apostles, and I look at the apostles, and I look at the early church, and they went to bed like we did. They brushed their teeth like we did. They combed their hair like we did. The Bible said they were men of like passion. Same for the women. They didn't have any hocus-pocus great power over them that we don't have. We look at them and we put them up on a shelf and we glorify them and we say... They were endued with a special power. No, they were not endued. They were endued with the same power that we are endued with. <laughs> and in the midst of all this, the religious leaders locked up the apostles and the angel of the Lord. He opened the prison doors and told them to go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of life. And then here they come and brought a layman, Stephen. And the Bible says... He was a deacon, and he did, this layman did, great wonders and miracles among the people. That's in chapter 6. And Philip, this really gets me in chapter 8. It says Philip goes to the desert, and he gives truth to the eunuch, and he baptizes him. And all of a sudden, he's caught, he disappears. He's caught away. I mean, how did he disappear? He was in the desert. There were no trees to hide behind. The Bible said, and he was no more. Now, how, how did he get from the desert into the uh, streets of Azotus? You see what I'm saying? They lived in the supernatural. God carried him away and took him there. I believe the Bible's literal. I don't think he took two days to get to those streets. I believe that he did exactly what the Bible says. I don't know how he did it, but I know with God all things are possible and that we need to live in that realm. We need to magnify him. We read about where Dorcas was dead and Peter raised her from the dead. Then we read in chapter 13 that Paul commands blindness upon a sorcerer who is seeking to turn away a deputy he is witnessing to. How many times have you witnessed to somebody and somebody's trying to turn them away and you've turned away and say, I command you to be blind? See, they had power and they had authority. On and on, you just keep reading and, and your soul just gets more thirsty and more hungry. It was thirsty men and women that shook the continent, that shook the world. And nothing's going to change today. The early church, I read in this, revivals, revivals, tells about the Finney revival, tells about the John Wesley, the Jonathan Edwards, Topeka and Azusa. Several of the revivals in here were started. One of them, they had such a revival that there were two men driving by on a train and conviction reached out to that train and they fell on their knees and repented to God just from the conviction and the power of that revival one revival that they had they, uh, Finney and the pastor could not understand why they were having such move of God and they traced it back to one little woman that had been on her face for 48 hours and we
gave the revival, the price I'm talking about for revival. I read about this dear, precious woman, Mary Woodward Edder. I don't know if you've read after her, but I've just read it recently. And I am so hungry for this. It gives account of people that would walk in the church door. The power of God would be so strong that people would be slain under the power. And some of them would be slain under the power for six to ten hours. They, some of them would be in trances and they would give out what heaven looked like. And other people uh, would come in and total healings. I mean, everybody they prayed for, it was just one healing after another. Marvelous healings, slain under the power. One place in there, it tells about the heavenly choir. Have any of you ever heard of a heavenly choir? tells about how it was like a wave that swept over from this side of the congregation to the next. They sang as one tongue. One of them, they sang as in a heavenly language, in tongues, the same words. And on and on. If you could read it, you'd never be the same. You'd say, God, I'm playing church. You'd say... One little woman, one little woman affected her. She was in Wisconsin, I believe. She was in Indiana, the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I'm asking you tonight, what are we waiting for? Do you realize the power that's shown in this room? Oh, God, if we could ever... If one woman took prayer out of school, what could one woman in this congregation do tonight for revival? We don't, we shouldn't limit God. It's not Him, it's us. I mean, we've, we've lived and we've grown up thinking limits. You've been taught limits as a child. Don't do this, don't do that. You can go here, you can go there. I heard this story about the little boy that went to eat over at his uh, friend's house and the, the mother of the friend kept saying, here honey, have another helping. And the little boy said, no, I I can't. My mother said not to. She said, well, come on. And he said, well, she really, she probably didn't know how small the helping would be. I mean, it was ingrained in his mind. He was taught one dessert. You're, You're taught that all your life. You live in the kitchen with gallons. You live in the kitchen with cups and teaspoons. But yet we serve the God of the eons and the universe and the oceans. You see why we limit God? Here we are down here with our little teaspoons and our two cups and two-thirds and and one half. And and God's out there saying, hey, I've got oceans. I've got the universe. You're just a little earth. Look at all the galaxies. The power. One morning I was praying. I said, oh, God, show me your power. And it was like a panorama came before me. And I saw God. It was darkness. And he was standing on nothing. And out of his mouth, he was just speaking. And everything he spoke came into existence. And I thought, that's what he wants us to look at him as. Anything he speaks, he doesn't even have to speak it. He can think it. It's there for the church if we will get into that avenue. And you know, you can't really get into that avenue until you get into fasting and prayer. Because it's the war against flesh and and the spirit. Spiritualness and carnality. And so, here we are. I got on the plane today and I, I heard everyone around me just talking and it, it just sounded like they thought we were going to be here forever. And this one's concerned about their corn on their toe. And this one's concerned about, you know, such things, trivial things. And I know we all have to be concerned about these things. But when you get this thirst inside, those things just kind of pale. They're, they don't become uh, super existent in your mind. The thing that counts is this thing that's driving you. And I listened to the conversation around me, and and I thought, you know, the church is kind of like that sometimes. We get the feeling, we say, um, we're going to be here forever. Uh, peace is coming. Don't stir in us, God. We're comfortable. Um, don't shake us from our routine. Everything's going fine. I have three lovely children. I have five children and whatever. Uh, things are going great. God, I, I just want, I like this nest. 
It's, it's well padded. And I got to thinking, even though sometimes we feel that way, God had a Noah that warned his world, and God had an Abraham that warned Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says right above those two women that as it was in the days of Noah and it shall be when the time of the Lord comes, eating, drinking. And God's going to have a church to warn. And as sure as his word says it, it's going to happen. And Luke 18, 7 says, They cried day and night unto him. Day and night. One morning last year in April, I believe it was, we were facing a situation that was so difficult. And I got up like 2.30 in the morning. I went to my husband's office and I said, Oh, God, you've got to help us. And as I prayed, the Lord said, Read Elijah. And so I read about the account where Elijah, the prophets of Baal, you've all read it. And I read it and I said, Oh, God, I know you're God. He said, uh-uh, you didn't get the message. Read it again. And I read it again, and this time it struck me like a blaze from heaven. And this is what he left with me. The more impossible the situation, greater the miracle will be. <laughs> Ooh, hallelujah. The more impossible you think things are. You may think, oh, we can't have revival in the city. We've tried it. It doesn't work. That is of the devil. You can have anything you want from God if you want to pay the price and give up something to have. The more impossible the situation, greater the miracle will be. By the way, ladies, I didn't, I failed to tell you, but I'm so excited. My little six-year-old daughter received the Holy Ghost last night. For one solid hour, I saw her under the influence of the Holy Ghost, her little hand shaking, tears rolling, stammering lips, and the people that were around her praying, they, everyone was gushing with tears because the power of God was on her so strong. It was amazing. And she was just agonizing and praying. And on the way home, I said, Honey, God wants you to speak more fluently in the Spirit. He wants you to give... Um, vent to that God wants to speak words through you and we started praying and that child started speaking in the most heavenly language I took her home and I dialed the phone and I called my dad I said you won't believe what just happened and she got on the phone and she started speaking in tongues <laughs> and for like 30 minutes she couldn't even hardly talk English she tried to talk and her words were slurred <laughs> it was so powerful and it was like God was confirming in my mind if I can work that way through a child that yields herself, how, can, how much more can I work through these adults if we will become as children simple faith believing that God will do what his word says it will do and that he's no respecter of person. I'm going to read you um, in Acts, the second chapter, verses 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will. Not that I might, but I will. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters. That's us. If you're a daughter, raise your hand. Okay. What shall they do? They shall prophesy. And that can mean several things. Did you know that all of you are a teacher tonight? You teach your children. Everyone that you come in contact with, you're a teacher. You either leave with them a good influence or a bad influence. You're teaching them something. What are you teaching them? What are you prophesying in actions and in words? And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens. I will... I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. God is raising up ladies in this day with a special anointing and using them. And I promise you, I want to be one of those ladies. God, I'm hungry for it. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to pray just an hour a day. 
I don't want to fast just when the spirit hits me or when I feel like it in my own little. I want to sacrifice. I've asked the ladies in our church, and I asked them at Ladies Landmark, and I called Sister Urshan up there. I said, would you look at this? I asked the ladies at Landmark, all the ladies that were there. There was almost 1,800, I think. And I said, at the end of the day, when we had heard from God and had a marvelous move of the Spirit, I said, I'm going to ask you, in this day when God is trying to do a work on this earth, he's just looking for pure, honest vessels. I said, I want to know how many of you would join me in fasting at least one day a week and in praying at least one hour a day. And would you believe, I believe 95% of those ladies stood up. I said, Sister Urshan, come here and look at this. We just stood there and wept together. And with that kind of power, do you know what's going to happen? Last fall, one of the ladies in my church called me and she said, Sister Haney, you've got to hear this. And when she related it to me, I said, you type that out and give that to me. And you may have heard it. And I've related it several places, but it stirred me. Uh, Nikki Cruz was in San Jose, not far from Stockton, and her parents had gone over to hear him. And one of the things that he said stirred me way down deep. He said his friend got on the airplane, and he noticed this young lady without any makeup on. And when the uh, stewardess came to offer her food, she shook her head and said no. And so he said... um, are you fasting? She said, yes. He said, you a Christian? She said, no, I'm a witch. And she proceeded to tell him, she said, I am joining with 27,000 witches in America. And we are joining together this year, praying to Satan. And our target is the ministry And we are praying that he will bring division, that he will cause children to rebel, that he will cause problems in marriages. He will help the churches to dry up. She went on with all of this, and I thought, my God, how do you fight that? And the Lord just spoke back to me and said, you fight spirit with spirit. If those ladies who are empowered by Satan are willing to do that for such a diabolical cause, my God, how can we be complacent when their master promises them hell and our master promises us heaven? How can we sit and eat cream puffs and live froth and foam lives and just flitter around and fritter away our time when the only thing that really matters is anything that has to do with eternity. Tangibles are going to burn up. The intangibles are going to last. And I go in the church house. I get up at four in the morning along with about three or four hundred hundred people. And I go and I walk in that church house at five in the morning and I look and I say, oh, God, I'm not the only one that's hungry for revival. I see young couples and there they are. They have their little babies and these little rocking things and they have another little child bundled up in a blanket and they have them lying there on the bench. And I see another four-year-old just walking around. This is five in the morning. I see young people. I see little kids. I see 80-year-olds. I see 70-year-olds. I see all these people falling prostrate on their faces, crying out to God. I see former uh, prostitutes in there. I see former drug addicts. I see people that are hungry. And I listen, and and I hear the cry of the soul. And don't tell me that God's going to turn a deaf ear to that. We're seeing miracles. We're seeing growth. But I, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. I'm so hungry for the 3,001 day soul revival that Acts talks about. Not in six months or a year, but one day. I just want to see the book of Acts come to life in our day and age. 
And if you'll notice, the, the apostles in the early church, several scriptures give their secret. It says they made prayer and fasting. Even when the disciples couldn't do something, Jesus said, this shall not come about except by prayer and fasting. Fasting gets rid of your unbelief. It puts you on a spiritual level that you can get into the realm of Christ and the will of God for the church. Now, I'm going to read one scripture, several here. It's in Isaiah 32. Before I do, I want to read Isaiah 43:13. And this is God speaking. He said, Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And he's saying this to the church today. I will work. And who shall let it? And then in Isaiah 32, 9, 11, and 15. Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you and make you bare and gird sackcloth upon your loins until, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. I want to challenge you tonight. And we have a few minutes here. I think we can turn this place into a good old-fashioned prayer meeting. I want to challenge you. Please, let's not go back to being normal. We're, we're too close to the end. And I promise you, God's going to do a work. He will do a work. And if he did these kind of revivals in time past, and he did these kind of revivals in the early church, he's going to do it again if we get into this realm. These people, they... They said this one preacher prayed eight hours a day before he spoke. Ladies would go and pray for hours and hours. They said when uh, one revival was going on, a whole factory closed down because of the conviction that permeated that place. I mean, they, they, touched, they shook cities. Now, I say if they can do it, we can do it. They're no different than we are. They're just a little more hungry. A little more thirsty. They they had it. They had less than we do. See, the thing is, we are so blessed that sometimes our blessing is a curse. We, our homes are beautiful. Our, the food's coming in. The clothes. It's a different generation. And see, if we want to get into this realm that they were in, we have to bring ourselves. David said, "I humbled myself, my soul, through fasting." And in order to get into the realm that God wants us to, we're going to have to humble ourselves through prayer and fasting and give up some of these comforts. Let them go by the way and get into the realm that Christ wants us to get into. And I'm going to challenge this retreat. We'll talk about a lot of things tomorrow that may not be on the same spiritual level as this, but tonight I want to give it to just a spiritual thrust. I want you to be changed. I want the pastor's wives to realize their influence. And if you're a prayer warrior, your ladies are going to be a prayer warrior. Whatever you're thirsty after, that's what they're going to thirst after. And you mothers, you're influencing your children. Every person in this building, you're influencing someone. And is, the, is there, is there another Mary Woodward Adder? In this congregation tonight? Is there? Are there hearts that are tired of going through the motion? And you say, God, I've been depressed. God, I'm up to my neck in bills. I'm drugged down. I'm cares of life have got me. Hey, you can have, you can have victory over all that. When you get your mind on the things that count... Somehow these other things, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added. Things work out when you get into this realm. Of course, you're going to fight the devil. He's going to send a lot of things to knock you down when you start getting into this spiritual realm. But that's why I talked about perseverance.
No matter what he puts in your way, no matter what comes upon you, if you're thirsty enough, all devils in hell can't stop you. Because why? The name of Jesus is all-powerful. Now, I challenge you tonight to let God be magnified in your life. Let's get hidden behind the cross. Let's say goodbye to our old self of satisfaction and complacency. And let's say, God, I want the world to see you through me. When I go in a supermarket, I don't want to go in just to buy a piece of bread. But Lord, I want to minister. And when I walk down the street, I want someone to feel your presence through me. Oh, God. If you're willing to pray at least one hour a day, if you're willing to fast at least one day a week for God that gave up everything, I ask you to stand. If you're willing to commit and make the sacrifice to give yourself to this cause right before God comes back, God, look at this, God. Look at it. Would you look at it, God? Oh, God. Let's just worship God. Worship Him. Give yourself to Him. Make us hear what the Spirit saith. Oh, my children! Seek Seek my face! Worship him. to commit to God and break our commitment when we're in a uh, spiritual move of God. So I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. I feel it in the spirit to do it. And I, I don't want you to do this and then later get guilt complexes if you don't do it. But I want you to do this for the mere fact that you can strengthen one another. But all of you ladies that made a commitment to fast one day a week and pray one hour per day, I want you to find someone and commit to them. And if you commit to one another, then you've got a double commitment. You've committed to someone and you've committed to God. And you're gonna, it's going to make you keep this commitment. And it's not just going to be a mere uh, spiritual move and then it's over when another month or two is gone. But see, we want to keep this up till the rapture. We want this to be a lifestyle. And some of you will graduate to two hours a day. Some will go to three hours. Sister Teclamera in Africa, God is using her in a mighty way. She has five children. She prays four hours a day. Some of you will get into that realm. When we get into that realm, we're going to see things that we've never seen before. And so I'm asking you to 
find someone in here, surely you can find somebody to commit to. Go to that person and then pray for one another that God will enable you and empower you to keep this commitment. And if you would like to, we in Stockton, our ladies' fast day is Wednesday. Wouldn't it be neat if ladies all across America would be fasting every Wednesday together? If you want to choose that for your day, that's fine. Whatever is best for you. But at least you knew you wouldn't be alone. There'd be hundreds of others fasting with you. So at this time, as we commit ourselves completely to God, let's commit ourselves to a friend or even, even if you don't know a person and you know they committed, let's commit to one another and encourage one another in this next year that's ahead of us to develop this as a lifestyle so we will have the power in our churches. Can we do that right now?